Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks Are Flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information about how to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today I'm super excited to have as my guest my dear friend, Ariel Giaretto. Ariel has been working in the field of body-focused therapies for over 20 years. She started out on the staff at the world-famous Esalen Institute in Northern California in the 90s, and she studied with many renowned teachers of somatic healing and sexuality like Carolyn and Charles Muir, Margot Anand, Jack Rosenberg, and Peter Levine, who is the creator of the Somatic Experiencing Method. And she ended up being a senior faculty member of the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute, which trains professionals worldwide in trauma recovery. She's a certified somatic sex educator and has a private practice specializing in sexuality and prenatal early trauma. She is also a licensed marriage family therapist. Welcome to the show, Ariel. Thank you, Sumi. It is really fun um, to do things with you because I love and adore you and respect you so much. So thank you so much for um, inviting me on your show. So well, thank it's you. really I funny. Say, well, I should um, say welcome. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying it, it's always funny to hear someone read my my bio is like, wow, that's me. <laughs> um, and, and I, you know, I, as I get older, I, I just realize, my goodness, you know, I have had quite a lifetime of experience. And, um, um, you know, a, a lot of how I got into what I do is, is because I've always been really interested in alternative sexuality and um, have practiced it really since I was 17 when I discovered I was bisexual and, and realized that um, I just really wanted to have fun <laughs> and uh-huh. um, have been, you know, for a very, very long time, really been uh, a focus for me on how to have fun and, and be really open um, in, with sexuality. And, and Esalen, um really was um, an open an opening for me on so many levels. And I, I was there for almost 12 years, um, and I took complete advantage of all the in, incredible 
teachers that came through there, and um, I was able to uh, learn uh, everything I possibly could about the body. That's what's so beautiful about Esalen. And I think one of the things that, that was really useful for me was the fact that it's clothing optional. And to be um, naked with people for, you know, a decade, I learned about my body and actually learned to appreciate it there. And uh, I did massage there, and I got to touch a lot of bodies. And so my interest in the body really flourished there. And um, like like you said in, in my in my bio, I took full advantage of a lot of the sexuality classes that that showed up, and so my sexuality really blossomed. Um, mm-hmm. What was problematic about being an Esalen is that it was a very transient uh, environment. People came through there, and although I never I never got involved with what we called the seminarians, you know, the people that that came through for a weekend or a week workshop, but I did have a lot of involvement with people on staff like myself. And because it was such a transient environment, I got my heart broken about every 20 minutes. It was really devastating (laughs) for myself in terms of part of me that wanted to have fun, but I also, at that time, I was in my 30s, I also really wanted a partner, and um, Esalen is not a place for that. You don't you don't find a partner at a human potential center. Um, I had a lot of good sex, and I had a lot of fun, and I learned a lot about myself. Um, but from from a from a, 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 a from the ability to drop in with someone and create long term connections, that that just wasn't. Uh, a possibility and, and so it ended up being mm-hmm. a really great experience and a heartbreaking one and mm-hmm. I was doing lots and lots and lots of work on myself and um, when I finally did meet Peter Levine which was in 1999 and um, his work somatic experiencing took me into a even deeper layer uh, of connection to myself, um, I realized that I needed to launch and get out of Esalen if I was going to have any kind of a, of a real life. It was such a paradise there. I think it's probably not unlike what it's like to live in Hawaii, you know, where <laughs> it's beautiful most of the time and there's incredible people and it was really paradise. And um, it was a after. Uh, 12 years, it was very, very difficult to leave, but I did, and I'm, and I'm glad I did because it, it allowed my career to really launch. Um, at that same time, I was studying uh, pre- and perinatal trauma uh, and doing a lot of work on my very, very, very young self, actually, from in utero on, and it was doing that work, like really going back and reworking my little one, is when I started to develop more skills in terms of healthy attachment and healthy um, being in relationship and being able to make different choices about who I was attracted to. So that was a really big turning point in my life. And so for a long time, Mm -hmm. I was working with people on their very, very early pre- and perinatal and developmental trauma. Um, And I was also working with pregnant women. 
And uh, working with pregnant women was wonderful in helping them prepare for labor and delivery and doing postpartum care and all of that. Um, so that was another way that I started. That was kind of the start of working with sexuality because um, many of the women that I was seeing um, were having difficulties uh, getting pregnant. And I realized that what was missing in, uh, in infertility was they didn't have a pelvis. They just were not connected into their bodies. Um, and they weren't necessarily even enjoying sex. And so here were all these women, many of them identified as queer, um, and many of them had pumped, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into trying to get pregnant. But they weren't happy in their sexuality. And so I saw this crossover between the pre and perinatal trauma, between infertility issues, and just a general lack of uh, awareness of the body and the pelvis. And that, that launched me into wanting to study sexuality more. So, um, so I thank my pregnant women and those that were struggling with infertility as really uh, taking an even deeper dive um, in, into what, what I started to recognize was what I call sexuality trauma. And by sexuality trauma, I really genuinely feel that we are all touched by that. Um, we are all the product of a culture, of a, a nation that, uh, you know, the, the U.S., even though we're, we're pretty out there about sex, we're also one of the more prudish cultures and, and countries. When I did a lot of work overseas and in Europe, I realized, wow, a lot of people are a lot more easy in their bodies than we are here. Uh-huh. A lot uh-huh. more outwardly okay about sexuality, um, certainly about same-sex marriage and things like that, but we in this country, because we're you know based in this sort of Puritan ethic, um, we're really far behind. So, um, I started to get very, very interested in how I could begin to help all people um, learn to feel comfortable in their bodies, which is actually something separate from sexuality. And mm-hmm. the, um, the, the, the major turning point for me, again, so I've had all these turning points, but one of the major mm-hmm. turning points for me uh, was getting involved in the sex-positive communities. I took a lot of high workshops. Um, I, again, I was doing huge amounts of work on myself. Um, I just loved high, and I loved um, all the different layers. What I realized about high. Uh, the Human Awareness Institute, for those of you who don't know it, um, is that the clients, as a therapist that I was working with, they would never have made it in a high workshop. It would have been, it's like Uh insulin. You know, a lot of people are not ready for nakedness. They're not ready to look at other people's genitals. And so I Uh had to create some programs that were more appropriate to those who had severe trauma. And then that got Uh me thinking about how how can I do that? So here I was. I was in a number of sex-positive communities. Um, I was really exploring polyamory, open relationships. I was navigating what what you and I are doing this workshop on around jealousy. A lot, a lot, a lot of work on my own relationship to jealousy and, um, you know, and doing the pre- and perinatal work that I did really, really helped. 
because I was attaching to myself in a different way. So um, there was just many, many years when it just felt like I was just coming alive with my own sexuality, um, the work that I was doing privately with people. I started to specialize in uh, sexual trauma, and I, be, I went on a mission, which I'm still on, um, of where I, I want to help everybody find ease and pleasure and comfort and delight in their bodies. And um, so I... Um, uh, one of the people in, in my community was telling me about sexological body work, and there was someone that was looking for people to practice on. And I had heard about uh -huh. sexological body work. I was very curious about it. And so I volunteered. <laughs> and uh -huh. um, this was about six years ago. And I was lying on the table with this man who was a lovely, lovely man, and we had... Uh, negotiated what kind of touch I had pretty much given him permission I said I'm really open I just want to feel what you have to offer and um, as soon as he worked on me for about 10 minutes I started to cry in fact I started to weep oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. and because he included every part of my body. You know, I was trained as a massage therapist to dance around nipples. You know, God forbid that you should get anywhere near genitals, right? It was like the right. red zone. You just, you know, it's like that's the nuclear zone. You don't get near it. It's dangerous. And for him to so seamlessly touch all of me, um, in a very non-sexual way. It was just, I, I see all of you, I welcome all of you, there's no part of you that isn't beautiful to me. That's what I was mm -hmm. crying about, and I realized I was waiting all my life to be touched like that. Um, oh. I, of course, have had lots of lovers, um, and I've, had some, I've been blessed by some really good lovers, but I realize that when I'm in a sexual encounter with someone, that learning how to receive was still something that was challenging for me. And um, this kind of body work was all about receiving. And it was all mm -hmm. focused on me. And I knew that, you know, when I'm in a lover situation, even though I might be receiving something really awesome, I'm still in my head going, well, what am I going to do to them? You know, well, I can hardly wait to, you know, do that to her or do that to him. You know, you know let me at him, right? And I'm, I'm not 100% present in the receiving. So that was a, a huge turning point where I realized that, first of all, I wanted to learn to do this. I jumped off the table after the first session and um, immediately went online and signed up for the training. And um, I didn't really have an intention of wanting to be a sexological body worker, but I wanted to learn everything I could about it. And um, mm -hmm. it was life-changing. It was one of the best mm. things that I've ever done because I really, really learned everything I could possibly learn about penises, vaginas, um, anuses, you know, everything was welcomed and included, and I just, I loved, I loved it. And it was very, very challenging at the same time. Um, uh -huh. So that was um, a moment for me, and I realized as I was going through 
sexological training that um, there is so much more to being a lover. And there is so much more um, that even though I had had lots of really good sex, what the sexological bodywork kind of focuses on is basically the foreplay before the foreplay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this whole idea of what is needed to awaken a body to pleasure. Uh, so I, again, was taking this training, and I realized 99.999% of my of my clients would never be ready for this. So mm-hmm. how could I take what I learned in high, um, how could I take what I learned as a sexological body worker and create programs that work for people that aren't ready for those things? And mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. what I did. And so now I teach workshops, although they've all gone to hell since COVID, but um, I teach these workshops um, where I can help people find that those levels of embodiment without necessarily anybody else touching them, but they can find those levels of pleasure in their own body. And some of that is not even necessarily that they're self-pleasuring, but more that they're learning to delight in every centimeter of their body. So mm, what started out as being... Yeah, it is beautiful. And what kind of started out as being my interest in sexuality sort of shifted to my interest in people just inhabiting all of themselves without shame, Mm -hmm. um, with joy, with pleasure, with celebration. And um, I I just can't tell you how exciting it is to be able, you know, to do that, to do that kind of work. So that's that's wow. kind of the the evolution and um and then you know of course yeah, in my practice I'm, I'm frequently negotiating how people can open up relationships and you know work with that mm-hmm. so that's that's a mm-hmm. little piece of what I do as well and so that's, wow. that's kind okay. of well <laughs> before before you continue um if you could back off your microphone just a tad, it was a little poppy. Oh, okay. Um, not not bad, just a little. Um, okay. But I just want to tell the audience that you know Arielle was feeling a little nervous. I asked her if we could go into her personal story more, and boy, did you get out of the starting gate with a full <laughs> full speed ahead. <laughs> you had no problem there, so good for you. How does how does it feel in your body? I kind of halfway teased you saying. Oh, you're nervous? Let's see how it feels in your body. So how does it feel in your body that you, you know, shared so much about your personal story? Well, it's not, it's interesting, you know, because I listen all day to people's personal stories, but it's really hard for me to tell my own. I, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It, 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 mm-hmm. it, just, it, it just is. I mean, it, it kind of rattled off my tongue because I know you and I know I can say anything on this program and no one would mm-hmm. barely blush. <laughs> but I can't mm-hmm. usually tell right. my story to my classes, right? If, um, although I do right. know a little bit about it. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's okay. I, uh, I survived. <laughs> <I'm impressed. laughs> you did great. You did great. Yeah, I have so many questions to ask you now. Wow, that was just really great. Um so thank you for that. And um, so as you were learning more and more, you're learning about somatic experiencing, you're having all these fleeting relationships at Esalen, um, everyone's naked all the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. 
all um, the time. Uh-huh. You're you're working with pregnant women and their sexuality, and then you get into sexological body work and all this stuff. So, can you give us like one or two examples of how your personal relationships evolved? Like, what what was like a how did you apply all this learning to yourself? Like you said, you were doing work with your own little one, your own, um, in, you know, prenatal experience. So maybe share some one or two examples of how your relationships. What did you, you know, how you applied your own learnings to your own relationship, and then where are you now with your relationships? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, uh, starting with. The, the pre and perinatal. One of part of my story, my pre and perinatal story, is that my mother didn't want to be pregnant, and uh, I was the product of an affair, uh, and she wanted nothing to do with me. I think she tried to abort mm-hmm. me. She really didn't want me. And then when I came out, this was you know late fifties, where you really couldn't discover the sex of the baby without doing like amniocentesis and that and I was a girl she was the words that she used was horrified um, she mm. didn't want a girl she thought that if she had had a boy that maybe my father who was married um, would have stuck around but the fact that I was a girl somehow that was it you know, as I got to know my father as an adult, he actually preferred his daughters over his sons, so that's another story. But my prenatal story was so painful because I, uh, I hated, I didn't know this growing up. I didn't know it cognitively, but I knew it somatically, intuitively, that there was something really, really wrong with my genitals. Like, I think that if 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 it had been fashionable to be trans, I would have totally been trans. And mm. I I denied everything about myself as a girl. Um, and I hated that I had breasts. They're not very big, but the little ones that I had, I was horrified by those. When I started menstruating, I was horrified by that and didn't even tell my mother for years. And... When I had sex with boys, even though boys wanted a girl <laughs> to have sex with most of the time, um, I always felt like they were like putting up with me. You know, they were uh, they that they they didn't really want me, and that there was something really profoundly wrong with me being a girl. It's kind of crazy making when you think about it. And so mm-hmm. I was very tomboyish. I was very athletic, which I know you can relate to. Um, and I really denied those those parts of myself and felt a huge amount of shame um, whenever anybody would even look at my, my genitals, my vulva. So part of the pre- and perinatal work that I did was about redoing that. And what I mean by that is I started to, the, the work that I do with people is we call it reparative work. So we look at the trauma, but we look at and, and embody what, what woulda, coulda, shoulda happened. You know, what we call in somatic experiencing is what didn't get to happen. So I was able to begin to <clears throat> love and accept my girlness and my genitals 
and my my entire girl body by redoing the prenatal. And so I imagined myself mm-hmm. in a mother's womb that delighted in the fact that I was a girl, delighted. So oh. I allowed myself to take in these messages, this imagination that I was in a body that really wanted a girl. And um, that was an incredible shift for me. And then when I, then I imagined my birth story and I imagined all, everybody celebrating. <gasps> it's a girl, you know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I did this mm-hmm. over and over and over again. I did multiple sessions on accepting and embodying my body. And so mm-hmm. what that did is it started to take shame away. It started to take this deep, deep, deep insecurity that I had about, well, any man that would be with me what doesn't really want to be with me because I'm a girl, you know, I and mean, it's not uh-huh, right. Uh-huh. And, and that's where I found comfort in women. It's like when I had um, sexual contact with women, I realized how yummy I was. I mean, it really wasn't uh-huh. until I embraced other women and I felt their softness and how wonderful and beautiful their vulvas were, you know, that it was these sexual contacts that I had with women also allowed me to understand that, wow, there's something really cool about being a girl. <laughs> and, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It, but it, it took so much work in order to do that. And when I got away from Esalen, um, this was before, um, I didn't do this at Esalen, this is after I left Esalen, um, by working on accepting my body and accepting it as being, you know, a, a pretty cool thing, I started to attract and be attracted to different kinds of people. And, mm-hmm. um, and that just changed, <clears throat> changed everything. Um, and I know that the prenatal work that I did is what allowed me to begin to accept all of myself um, a lot more fully. And I started to notice that instead of the kind of people that I would be attracted to, which was more about, you know, are they smart? Are they conscious? Are they spiritual? You know, all the things, all of our checklists, you know. Um, Are they good with animals? You know, I started to, not that I didn't care about that, but it was actually more based on, uh, their 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 body, their nervous system. You know, are they connected to themselves? Are they present mm-hmm. with themselves? Are they present with me? Um, are they are they celebrating being with me? Um, which I would not have been able to experience had I not celebrated the fact that I had been born and that I was fine the way I was. So mm-hmm. that's when. Six years ago, in fact, six years ago today, um, I met Jeffrey, and um, oh, really? We had, wow! Yeah, uh, six years ago today was our <laughs> first sort of date. <laughs> we had been corresponding for a while, but we finally met um, on this day six years ago, and he was that man. I mean, he um, really celebrated and wanted to get to know me, and you know, very, very attentive and very emotionally available and um, all of these qualities that I hadn't been interested in before, very, very wonderfully sexual, um, 
very willing to experiment with lots of different things and and um, celebrated my my sexuality so um yeah i mean i it you know it took sixty years basically like fifty something years for me to kind of get it right um uh-huh. by by doing that kind of of work on myself and and then the sexological bodywork training um, really supported me in being a much better receiver. And when I learned oh. to be a good receiver, I started to have amazing sex. I mean, like really oh. out of the ballpark sexuality because I was super present. And, um, and I learned how to heighten my pleasure through sensations. Um, and and also because I had the sexological bodywork training, I was also a way better giver because I felt like I really knew my way around a body. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, you know, so so Jeffrey <laughs> um, has reaped the benefits of my training, um, but he's also <laughs> just been really lovely in in terms of me healing so many of those wounds that I had, and and I do feel that he is. Um, he he feels grateful to be with me. I, I've never been with anyone who felt grateful to be with me. And that was what mm. I needed in order to heal those really early attachment wounds where my mother wasn't grateful. She was she hated the fact that I existed. So it's really been a, a profoundly reparative experience. Um you know, to do that, that work and then to be open to someone like Jeffrey coming into my life. So Mm, yay, and I, I remember your beautiful yeah. wedding. What was that, about three years ago now? Uh, yeah, when was it? <laughs> 2017, <laughs> yeah. Almost four years, yeah, it's true. Almost four years now, yeah. And, and you look yeah. so feminine. I just saw some pictures the other day. I was going through um, my Facebook pictures looking for a particular picture, so I was just going through all these old pictures, and I saw your gorgeous, you know, you had your hair done and you're the kind of a, a little um, Mother Nature ring of flowers around your head and it just yeah. really saw you <laughs> in your, true. so in your feminine. It was so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so if yeah, it took yeah, a while. It took a I'm while to embrace that. Yeah, I'm going to stop right here and just, um, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio and this is your host, Suma T. Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatsparks.com. And we're speaking with Arielle Giaretto, who is a, um, whatever she is, a somatic sex educator <laughs> and senior, senior faculty, look at my notes, senior faculty for the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute. And um, if you have any questions for Arielle, feel free to call into the show. It's live right now. Um, so if you're listening to it live, you can call area code 657-3833. And you won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold, and we'll get to your call at the right time. Again, that number is 657-383-1132. So I'm going to ask a question until somebody else does. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't know some of these things about you. I had a really similar experience where um, my father would repeatedly tell the story over and over again about how he wanted a boy because – my sister was older than me, and my mom had a couple of miscarriages, and so they figured, like, mm. this was the, the only other child they're going to have, and they were really hoping for a boy. 
And my dad heard my first cry because I guess fathers didn't go into the birth room at that time. And Mm -hmm. so he heard me cry from outside and he thought, oh, that big loud cry is bound to be a boy. (laughs) (laughs) And then he went in and saw that it was me. And so that story I heard over and over again. And I'm just like, wow, okay, I guess I'm supposed to be a boy. So um, similarly, I, you know, became what they call a tomboy, which is such a stupid word anyway, tomboy. Yeah. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's true. Um, you know, became an athlete. became an athlete, and I, um, I didn't want anything to do with the domestic chores. I, like, intentionally didn't learn to cook. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to learn to sew, <laughs> like all those home economic things that they used to teach us. I ran in the other mm-hmm. direction from those things. So um just wanted to relate, mm-hmm. you know, to you. I didn't realize that you had that same thing. Um, but my question is, uh, so I heard you say that you did some deep reimagining work around your prenatal stuff. Um, but what about, like, birthing? Um, so I had a traumatic birth where my mother, um, I was breech and my arm broke, my elbow dislocated, mm. and um, mm. my umbilical ruptured. And then back then they put all the babies into an incubator. Um, right. That's just what they did. And so, you know, here I am, this wonderful, warm, soft womb, and then, bam, welcome to the world. Break your arm. <laughs> you know, oh. Rupture your connection with your mother. Throw you into the incubator. So, Clearly, that's why I get triggered around feeling unwanted, you know, like when I'm, sure. when jealousy comes up for me, it's usually around not being wanted. So are there also like reimagining techniques that you can do for birthing trauma? Absolutely. And um, I, I did those for years with people. And so, you know, it would be a kind of, um, and I just want to say that, the imagining is also profoundly somatic, meaning it's not just a visual, but it's also directing the person to have an, a completely new and different experience that they, that they are able to sense and take in from the inside. So I can give you an example. So if I was doing a session with you, I would have you uh, tune into, like try to drop into that newborn experience or that experience just before you came out. Um, do you do you know if you were a C-section? Because they often C-section uh, No, and back then, no, they huh? didn't. And back huh? then, not, not only did they believe that you were supposed to turn the baby around. Right, exactly. Um, but they, but they also, but my mom was Catholic and didn't do painkillers, so I was constantly hearing her say, oh, your birth was so horrible. Oh, my God. Oh, great. <laughs> what time, a message every that time it is. Was mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. what a message. Yeah, and you see, even that takes and makes it there. That, that what, the, what the baby is so aware of is that, um, that there, there's a message there that if I move forward in the world, well, you actually came feet first. Um, if I drop into the world, I cause others pain. And that, that can actually really inhibit people too. So if we were working together, I would have you completely redo it. And um, probably not necessarily redo the fact that you were breached because 
that, if you want to look at it, it's like that was your way of coming in. And a lot of mm-hmm. doctors and even midwives try to change that, like it's bad. But often, if you just get out of the way of a breech birth, they will just pop out, and I've been at them. You mm-hmm. know, Sometimes mm-hmm. they are terrifying, and the cord wrapping around the, the neck is the big problem. You know, because they right. um, sometimes babies will suffer oxygen deprivation. But I I would just invite you to think about you know how you would like to come in in a different way. So we would sit with that, and you would drop into yourself, and um, and you know we are of the same era where whether you were breach or not, it was standard medical procedure to take the baby away right away, put them in an incubator, and do scheduled feedings. And that has set up a couple of generations of eating disorders, you know, of feeling abandoned, of feeling like um, I can't trust my own hunger I can't trust mm-hmm. my own need for affection. I'm on somebody else's schedule. And so mm. the reparative experience is often that once you came out, you know, maybe someone would have attended to your arm, but in a really gentle way, kind of cleaned you up and then laid you on your mother's chest. And mm-hmm. that's usually what babies want, is they want to come out relatively quietly they want to come out into a regulated, safe, quiet space, not the emergency room situation that most hospitals provide. Um, and then there's a kind of what I call it, you know, what we all call a resting down. And that little one being able to really drop into that awareness of the mother's chest um, and recognizing that you could have laid there as long as you needed. So that would be your timing. Um, Mm -hmm. And really profound things can happen when you redo those moments of, uh, of, you know, what does that baby want? Well, usually, again, that baby just wants it quiet, wants to lay on the mom's chest, wants to take in her warmth and her support, uh, might be hungry, might not. That's not always necessarily something that happens in the first, you know, half hour of a birth. Um, and so just really leading you through a kind of reattachment, uh, uh, reestablishing that mom is a safe and quiet and warm place um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that, that kind of thing. So that's what I would, I would, I would be focusing on. And then you know I would what, give what comes you... up for me when you tell me. Sorry, what com, comes up for me when you say that is um, when people want to have some kind of open relationship, um, mm-hmm. whether it's you know polysexual or polyamorous. Um, mm-hmm. It sometimes you know a, a bonded couple will play together and will have you know one lover that they share or a couple that they play with. But if you're ever separating from your your bonded partner and you're going off with someone else and mm-hmm. the one that's kind of being left, for lack of a better word, the one that's like mm-hmm. not with mm-hmm. someone else, they're, they're like at home that night, they might need, I'm just wondering, like, would that help them to reconnect to have that physical touch? Because 
I often ask the couples I work with, like, what do you need when your partner comes back from seeing their other lover? Because some people, like one person said, I want to be able to dance for you. Like they're, they're into dance, Aww. and that was how they wanted to reconnect was by dan- being witnessed in their dance. So everybody kind of has different ways. Like one person's like, well, I don't want to talk about it for a while. Let's just go about our day, and then when I'm ready, I'll ask you. Or another person, I had a, a lover where I would say, I want you to make love to me as soon as you get back, and I want to cry while we're making love. Mm. Like that's mm. how I'm going to nice. release my fear. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if just a suggestion of like maybe not even talking, but just, you know, maybe taking your clothes off and just, hugging like in bed like just feeling mm-hmm. your bodies together would give you that regulation that you're talking about yeah it very well it very well could yeah and you know again that sense of this isn't going to end and a lot of babies i think that had those kinds of scheduled feedings or were taken away from mom never quite totally trust that that per, that someone's going to stick around, even if they're completely mm-hmm. reliable and they're not going anywhere. So you're absolutely right, you know, discovering what is needed from that really deep, young place to reconnect, and it might be. And, and this is one of the things that, that I did a lot with um, the man I dated before Jeffrey, David, who you know, is that I used him a lot, <laughs> you know, where I would – rest my head on his chest and I would be imagining that this was my little one and, and I'm not making him into a father figure. I was making him into a an attachment, you know, figure that I could rest down on him. And this was something that I could do with him that I wasn't able to do with my mother. And it with his did consent, create I'm assuming. Of course. I mean, well, what I mean is that when we were when we were just lying around li- listening to music mm-hmm. or something, I was really mm-hmm. consciously, of course, I was really consciously working it, you know, in my own mm-hmm. body. So that's what mm-hmm. I mean is that I was I was kind of having dual awareness. I was there with David, we were hanging out, listening to music, but I was also connecting with my little one that didn't get that. That didn't get mm-hmm. that sense of being able to rest down um, and not worry about anybody going anywhere yeah and mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. I you know I realized in some of those situations that I was never letting myself kind of rest on someone I would my I might have my head on their chest or I might even be holding someone but there was a part of me ready to flee you know I was mm-hmm. already tense and ready to jump away if I needed to, which is what I did with my mom. And so because of that, um, and this is, we can get back to your question, which I love, is that if someone is able to stay present with the receiving of contact, then it, it does calm down that a lot of that jealousy. It calms down a lot of that wondering, are you going to be there? Um, because mm-hmm. you can take in the pleasure of your partner in the moment. And that's another thing that very very few people are able to do, which is to stay 100% present in taking in the connection that is happening. Um, and, mm-hmm. again, that's one of the core uh, things that can help with jealousy is noticing when your partner is there 
and 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 really feeling their love, you know, not so much their commitment, but in a way their reliability, you know, that they're reliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that will calm down a nervous system enough to get to that place of ge- generosity that we all want to get to when we're sharing our our partners um, is that place of yeah I want to I I love you so much I want to be generous and you know you have the fun that you want to have and I can take care of myself in that and if I can't I trust that I can ask you for when you come home, make love to me so I can cry, <laughs> or when you come mm-hmm. home, just lie still and let me rest down on you so I, that little scared one in me can take in that you're here and that you didn't go anywhere. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can work that on many levels. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And I want to um, be inclusive here and um, acknowledge that not everybody um, is non-monogamous from a primary partner model. More and more people are exploring non-hierarchical models of non-monogamy. And so if you don't have a, quote, primary partner or hierarchical partner and you have multiple loves that they're all equally important to you, you can ask whoever to do this for you, just like Ariel quote, used David to um, reimagine her little one getting the bonding that she didn't have as a a baby, um, you can ask any of your loves to do that for you. It doesn't have to be a primary partner. It can be anyone who can hold the space for you in a beautiful way like that. Um, Because so much of the early... It doesn't even have to be a lover. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. It doesn't have to be a lover. I mean, um, it, it doesn't have to be even a lover. It's like when I embrace a girlfriend, um, I can take in her loving attention as well, right? It's, it's like every embrace. Um, when, if I'm walking down the street and someone makes eye contact with me, I can take that in and go, wow, that person sees me. So it, mm. it's a multi-layered, multi-faceted um, taking in whatever we you know, missed as a child and that also bleeds into our 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 partners, you know, being being sexual with our partners um, if we're sharing them. So yeah, mm-hmm. you're you're right. And I just want to express that um, we can do it with anybody <laughs> mm-hmm. if we're present. Yes, thank enough. you. So um, Ariel, I've invited Ariel to um, collaborate on a workshop with me, um, which is happening. On, well, I'll get the date in a second. I don't have it on the top of my head. Um, we're also collaborating with a um, kink expert who is also non-monogamous. And we're going to talk about, it's, uh, so the, the date is May 15th, and it's 3 p.m. Pacific time. It's called The J Word, Jealousy and Trauma in Non-Monogamous and Kink Relationships. So as we all go out there on the skinny branches and practice alternative relationship styles and alternative sexuality, um, we sometimes tap into these traumas, and we all have them. We all have them. That's why I I know this. I work with people all the time, and we all have our stuff. Nobody's perfect. And I just the other day got a new client who is a pretty high-profile relationship coach themselves, and 
um, it's really interesting because I, I see their public profile on social media and then I get to hear like what their struggles are. So we all have those struggles mm-hmm. and that's why I can talk so freely about my issues because I know we all have them. Um, and so it, you don't have to be somebody who identifies as having a horrible traumatic birth like I did. It could just be, um, you know, you didn't get the ice creams that you wanted. You know, we all just have these little traumas in our body that live in there. And they show up sometimes when we um, push our edges, you know, by by opening our relationship, by letting our partner have other sweeties that they fall in love with or that they have a hot sex life with. These things are inherently triggering to our sense of stability and connection. So in this workshop, um, Ariel is going to talk about um, how to dance with those traumas and how to have a really happy life even while you have them because they don't entirely go away. I'm going to ask you to talk about that in a second. I noticed that these things don't entirely go away. We just learn to befriend them more. And so I'm going to ask mm-hmm. Ariel to give us some ex- exercises in this um, J Word workshop where we can really have an experience in the workshop of um, the visualizing that she talked about earlier where even though you might be home and you're on the computer that you can actually have an experience of rewiring your brain and something that you can take away with you. And then um, Orpheus Black will talk about the unique issues of jealousy that come up in kink relationships, particularly the dominance and submission open relationships because there's a sense of consensual ownership when you're in a, a dominance and submission, a DS relationship and so how, do, how, how can you have multiple partners when you're playing with, with ownership kinks, you know? So there's some mm-hmm. unique stuff there that we're going to go into, and Orpheus nice. is going to give you some awesome experience as well in the workshop and stuff to take home with you. So I just wanted to explain that a little bit. And, um, and yeah, I'll come back to you, Ariel, and have you tell us a little bit about how do you dance with our core wounds because um, I find that they never really 100% go away. No, you're 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 right, and um, part part of it is uh, getting your head out of it, <laughs> which is why the somatic work is is so important. That when I have a reaction to something like jealousy, um, it 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 does show up in our bodies, and um, and it's it's so important. What I've learned. Um, from being a somatic therapist, how important it is to bring the body along with you. Um, and we will talk more about some of the things that, that, that I've discovered, um, both working with people and with my own process when we do the workshop together. Um, I think one of, the, one of the most important things is to not shame yourself for having a reaction. I think there's um, in, in our... In, in our communities, and um, there's, we, we have to differentiate between our belief system um, and what our body is actually capable of. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. people have a belief that open relationships are the right way, but their bodies are freaking out. And when their bodies yeah. are freaking out, it's just like a red flag. It's like the body is saying, pay attention to me. Don't keep telling me this is okay. You know, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't ignore me. Um, you know, the body is like, like a two-year-old. You know, it'll just keep, you know, 
it'll just keep, you know, uh, jerking on your shirt and going, pay attention, pay attention. If the more you ignore the mm-hmm. body, the bigger and more of a tantrum that, that it, it does. And if you just turn around and go, what? <laughs> you know, what do you want? And, and are able to go inside and work with the areas that, that are what we call activated or triggered, um, you can't necessarily 100% get it to go away, but you can take it down a few notches. And so there, it's mm-hmm. really, really, really important that you don't um, try to second-guess your body because you have a belief that open relationships is a beautiful thing. So when I'm, when I'm working with helping people open up the relationship, I want them to honor their reactions and, uh, and recognize there's a very, very good reason. That, you know, it's not that you're fucked up or that you're possessive or... You know, and I'm I'm one of those people that do not believe that jealousy is a social construct. You know, jealousy is a very, very real thing. Animals feel it. You know, everybody, um, a lot of mammals feel jealousy. And I'll and I'll talk mm-hmm. more about this in the workshop because I've worked in Muslim countries where people have multiple wives, where multiple wives are the social construct, and there is still a huge amount of jealousy, you know, so it's not something that we necessarily learn by growing up in a monogamous environment. It's it's deeper than that, you know. We don't Well, I've seen, want, like, we, dogs will, you know, if some dogs, like, if you, you know, I, I have a friend that has a dog, and if I... um if my dog goes into, my dog is Tallulah and his dog is Prince. So if mm-hmm. my dog sits on Prince's human's lap, mm-hmm. Prince will get really mad and, and like mm-hmm. squeeze in between, and, you know, get off oh, my yeah. lap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My puppy does that. Uh, we, we, we went, in fact, just before this talk, she goes and plays with these two wheat and terriers and they love me you know and they come over and they jump all over me and she and she who outweighs them by about 25 pounds pushes them off my lap and tries 50 pounds of her gets on my lap and says mine you know basically blaming me back you know and Uh uh we have very healthy attachment (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. And, and so that's the point is that it's it's not something that's learned. Possessiveness is not learned. You know, it's, it, it, I mean, I think that culture supports those notions, but we're really talking about a deep visceral experience that we need to honor mm-hmm. and recognize, uh, not necessarily yeah, gl- always surrender to it, but listen yeah, to I'm it. Glad you, gl- yeah, I'm glad you said that. I often call it... Um, trying to be more evolved than you are. <laughs> exactly. So, um, like we say, like, I've been doing polyamory for X number of years. Why am I still feeling this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. Right, right. Yeah, and our job, you know, as, as coaches and therapists is to normalize that and go, well, of course, you love this person, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. and what I like to do is sort out the kind of, arrangement with the least amount of pain right like how do we start Mm -hmm. with the least amount of pain and work our way up to devastation you know Mm -hmm. and i say that Mm -hmm. kind of you know laughingly but um you know 
we can we can also talk about that in the workshop of how when someone mm-hmm. is really really jealous how to work with that and um, mm-hmm. what that might look Great. like. So, but you're right, we don't I'm, really ever a hundred percent heal. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Just you know, I think everybody will get a lot out of that. Again, just to remind everybody that um, it's called the J word. Jealousy and Trauma in Non-Monogamous and Kink Relationships. And we have Ariel as well as Orpheus Black will be talking about the unique issues of jealousy in a kink relationship. And I'm going to give you a, um, a link for where to register. And that is sumatisparks.com forward slash the J word. sumatisparks.com forward slash the J word. You can register there. There's still super early bird tickets available, so grab your tickets soon. <laughs> so, Arielle, it's been really fantastic talking with you. I've just enjoyed it so much. The time just flew by. Um, I want to also give you a couple minutes to share with our listeners a little bit more about your private practice and um, whether you're doing any online workshops of your own. So please uh, take your time to share anything else that you want to share about what you're up to. Okay. Well, uh, currently my practice is totally closed. Um, I'm just not, I have a very, very small practice. Um, the, the pandemic has forced me to take all of my somatic experiencing work. I'm a full-time teacher for the Somatic Experiencing Institute, so um, I, I, I teach a large number of trainings. And so I've had to stop my private practice, and I don't plan on opening it again. Um, but I am just beginning to uh, try to do some professional workshops um, for other therapists about working with the nuances of sexuality trauma and sexual trauma. And that's kind of where my, my focus is. I'll be offering um, an online workshop in July. So if, there, if any of you are professionals out there and you want more training um, in working with sexual abuse and uh, sexual dysfunction, um, that could be something that could interest you. My website is fullembodiment.org. And it's horribly difficult to spell, so it is embodiment, E-M-B-O-D-I-M-E-N-T. So fullembodiment.org is my website, and um, there'll be an online program in July. And hopefully I will start up, um, as soon as we're out of COVID, I want to meet live. I do uh, workshops for just the general public around sexuality and healing their early sexual trauma. And um, I do one for couples and one that is, you know, also based on kink and some uh, playing with power dynamics. So one of these days, um, probably not till 2022, uh, I'll be able to offer more of those because I insist on them being live. We really need to be able to um, move around a room. And um, uh, I will probably do another uh, retreat. My uh, my uh, partner, Tom Callanan, who did the sex bod training with me, he and I, he developed full embodiment with me. And he is a sexual abuse survivor, and when we join forces, we are so dynamic. 
um, because he's really able to speak to men. He's able to speak to the wounded uh, sexual abuse survivors where I'm the sort of wild and crazy, sexy, let's just, you know, fuck and have fun. We're a really (laughs) nice balance um, for each other. And um, we will probably do another retreat in Costa Rica. We're almost out of time, so I'm going to stop you there. Okay, right, so I'll thanks again so much, and we'll talk. We'll see you at the J Word Workshop. Have a lovely okay. evening, Ariel. Okay, thank you, Sunny. Okay, so next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we will be talking with Lisa Rizzoli, who is a Tantra and Sacred Sexuality Coach. So join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific Time on Leading Edge Love Radio, right here. Good night, everyone. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.